Welcome to Takeaways, Life Lessons Learned. I'm your host, Hayam Mizrahi, recording from MDL Group. Recognized market leaders in commercial real estate brokerage and property management in Las Vegas, Nevada. Join me as I explore my takeaways from the people who have influenced me the most. Let's get started. We are here again at the NAOP September Breakfast Program on site. It was fabulous. We'll get into everything, but I want to first introduce my co-host today, Reed Gottesman with Harsh Investment Properties, the largest commercial landlord in Southern Nevada. Thanks for being here, Reed. Hi, and thank you for having me today. So for those who don't know you, which is like two people, what do you do at Harsh and what are you guys working on today? So over at Harsh Investment Properties, we are a private company, uh, owner, operator, developer of commercial real estate here in town. We're predominantly industrial properties, but we have all product types, and we're in seven Western markets. Hi, some of this stuff we're working on right now, we're developing a couple of buildings up north at the Speedway submarket, total of over 700,000 square feet. One building is just about complete, and the other one is just... just uh, beginning to be developed now and it's, it's ready to be delivered in the first quarter of next year. And then um, some other stuff we're working on that's really interesting to me is uh, we're looking at some value add opportunities here in town where we buy something that others may think is not beautiful, but we see something in it and we sprinkle some magic dust on it and make it really cool. Magic harsh dust. That's right. <clears throat> so thanks for being here. Reed and I will share our takeaways from this event, this event again, it was the September NAOP breakfast. Wow, it was awesome. The title was An Eye on Our Market, a market panel. We had the one and only Dan Doherty from Colliers International as the moderator. He's an industrial broker. The panelists covered the bases of, of like you talked about, the food groups. Adam Malin, the, he's a director at Logic Commercial. He focuses on retail. Dan Palmieri with Cushman and Wakefield who focuses on office product types, specifically with tenants and users. And Jim Stewart, the out of hiding. The legend himself. Yeah, so Jim Stewart is a 30-year veteran in commercial real estate. He started out, I think, didn't really start out in brokerage, but we know him as young pups in the industry as starting out in brokerage with Stewart Mixer that eventually became Collier's. And then he evolved into a developer building projects like Central Point and Town Square. And I'm pretty sure he was partners with George Clooney on a high rise that they ended up selling before they could even break ground. So it was awesome. I took a lot away. Uh, I want to hear about yours. But before, I have to say thank you to the sponsor this morning, Carpenter Sellers Delgado, another legendary architecture firm, 31 years in business in Las Vegas. You can't do that without being uh, successful. Rita is a packed room. Uh, it's still a packed room. We're here and they're... People are not leaving. They're talking. It's, I mean, the buzz is crazy. There's 240 people here today. Jump in. What, what'd you, what surprised you? What surprised me? What, what surprised me? That's a, somewhere to start. Um, you know, when we got into speaking with Jim Stewart about really what drives him, and he talked not the fundamentals of the market, not nuts and bolts development, not cap rates, not IRR. 
he talked about sort of an altruistic vision of what he sees. He stepped out of the market for 10 years, which is unbelievable. We could talk about his timing separately, which is unbelievable. But he talked about what he wants to see in our community from his company, how he thinks that getting together with two of his really close friends, Kevin Burke and Matt Root uh, in Southern California, they feel like they can make a dent on the world. And that is a really different outlook than most of the developers that we see. And I think that's part of what makes Jim, Jim, and what makes him and his company just a little bit different than everybody else that we deal with on a day-to-day basis. And frankly, it's why I think so many people come flock from far and wide to come see him and hear him and listen to the wisdom that, that he can impart on you. Because you can learn something just from his outlook on life, his positivity. So he's self-aware about it when it comes off altruistically and kind of called himself on his own BS. Do you buy it? I do. You know, look, a salesman's a salesman. I don't say that in, in a negative way, but he is who he is, and, and I, I do think that that's overall a positive thing. So he didn't get into it today, but I've heard the story before. His company is called Matter mm-hmm. as a reminder to him and his partners and their investors that they're going to lead with what really matters in life, and that's mm-hmm. relationships and, like you said, being positive. And what else in the matter story do you want to unpack? Well, the the other part of the mat the matter uh, story that I'd like to unpack, Haim, is one of the things that you and I talk about that I'm very into. I think we spend a lot of time in this town with our scar tissue. When's the next recession? What's going to happen with the next recession? And the truth of the matter is, this is a waste of our time. It's a waste of our energy because you don't know when it's going to happen. I don't know when it's going to happen. And more importantly than timing, maybe not more importantly, but just as importantly, we do not know how it's going to happen. People assume that the next recession is going to be the next great recession. A recession is just part of a cycle, right? It's not... It's not the end all. It's not the worst thing in the world. It's part of the cycle and actually provides opportunity. What's going to cause it, where it's going to happen, likelihood is we're not going to be the epicenter. And that's something that, uh, that Jim really talked about. We're not going to be the epicenter of the next recession. We- that was astute. He said, you know, we're a late recovery market, which we know. But the other part to that is if there will be a next recession or a next great recession, the warning signs will flash in other parts of the market which at that point we can uh, tighten our belts and adjust. A couple of things you're talking about that segue into my two of my takeaways. One is the contrast between an Adam Malin, a Dan Palmieri, and then the bookends, Jim Stewart as the panelist and Dan Doherty as the moderator. So you have two 30-year guys, Dan Doherty, Jim Stewart, and you have two probably a decade-plus-in guys. Yes. Um, not to take anything away from Adam or Dan because they are doing it at the highest level. Jim, when he opened up, he talked about, he didn't say this, but what I wrote down is, if I knew then what I know now. You know, he's, they're doing things that matter uh, now. There you go, as back if, to that word. As if, yeah, um, what Dan and, and Adam could be focusing, and you and I, frankly, could be focusing on now, what really matters and, and how should we proceed. The other thing is, you talked about the developer approach being more altruistic, relationship-based, making a dent as opposed to cap rates, IRR, all that stuff. Uh, leading with that, those things are all still very important. Is there an evolution in development like there was a resounding evolution, not just in 
retail. We're talking about the retail experience now. Also, office. They talked a lot about how office is experiential, not just retail. That was fascinating. Yes. That <laughs> what is going to drive our office market, right? In the past, up to today, we talk about development of office, and it's really not happening other than your Howard Hughes and a few other uh, uh, developments. What's going to change this? What's the driver? What is going to change office development in Las Vegas to actually make it a thing rather than what does everybody tell us? If an office is 50% pre-lease, then we can build a building. Okay, that's not exciting to me. So, Dan, what is going to change this? What is going to drive office development in Las Vegas? And his thoughts on this are we're going to catch a big fish, a Facebook, somebody in the tech sector, and then monkey see, monkey do was, was literally his words. We will get everybody following. And it's going to be on this experiential level where it is a mixed-use development, which is something that is near and dear to Jim Stewart's heart and, and mind. And I think that there's, there's you see kind of a symbiotic relationship here between the Dan Palmieri, the 10-year, 15-year guy, and the nostalgic mm -hmm. Stewart, the 30-year guy, and how it, this kind of will all work out, and we need to bring in this one big fish that will drive it. And they also talked about sports kind of raising, raising the level of, of our community and the consciousness from the outside looking in, mm -hmm. which was one of our programs as well. So we have folks looking at us from the outside looking in. The next step here is to get that one game-changing company to come to town. Wasn't Zappos that company? You can argue that Zappos did make a difference here in town. Here's know? what here's on this topic. Here's what I thought was so cool about this breakfast program. Every now and again, somebody at one of these things will say something that'll totally change your perception. And today the discussion was, you know, you were talking about it. Let me back up. The discussion has been as a community around spec office development. The challenges are that you have to have 50 percent pre-leased, which is impossible to do or very difficult at the least. And, you know, lenders aren't lending unless you have that and yada, yada, yada. The, the narrative has changed today at this breakfast in that. So what if we build another 150,000 square foot office, you know, multi-story spec? The occupier doesn't necessarily want that. We already have that. What they want is a mixed use experiential office opportunity, a la the downtown Summerlin, the Gramercy, the district. Town Square, we have some of that. We don't have enough of that. So now the question is, who's going to build that and where? It sounded like from their dialogue, they know. They weren't ready to say, but I feel like they know. They're not ready to announce. Uh, Mr. Stewart has, has alluded to this being his passion project on a number of occasions. And I would, I would bet, based on history and just hearing him speak over the past few weeks, that he's going to be the guy. Let's shift over to Adam. He talked a lot about retail. Uh, Dan Doherty uh, sort of threw him a New York Times article with headlines that we read and hear, and we maybe believe it to be true, maybe we don't. But the headlines were uh, the hollowing out of the American mall. Uh, retail is dying. And it's all based on what we know, the Amazon effect or the e-commerce effect. Adam you know, fielded that question, fielded the article, and he had some different sort of observations. 
Yes, there's challenges. Yes, there's an evolution. Yes, there's probably real realities that are hitting the American malls from a consumer behavior standpoint, which I agree with. But it's not the death of retail. In fact, there are retailers that are thriving. Sales have never been higher. Even he mentioned uh, mid-block, not anchored centers in good areas, which as you know, real estate fundamentals, location, location, location. Those are doing well. Even some in C areas are doing okay, uh, provided that there's a reason for them. Uh, th that, again, being the mid-block, unanchored crap sort of centers that we think about that are driving you know, vacancy and death and doom and gloom and all that. But he talked about the retailers who are dying are the ones that fail to evolve, that fail to adopt uh, digital strategies, online options. He talked about Target shifting their strategy from 100-plus thousand square foot stores to now they're going to roll out 30,000 square foot stores in er more urban areas, which here's something that's interesting. Amazon bought Whole Foods. They bought a retailer with brick-and-mortar stores. Why would they do that if they felt like retail is dying? Well, hi, I'm th this is the evolution of retail, not the death of retail. Retail is changing. Your, your Sears, your JCPenney, your old brick and mortars that, that have not adapted to today's market demands are the ones that are dying. Um, you know, Adam mentioned that the media has an emotional response, but the problem is troubled companies uh, that, that have not innovated. And what's happening with your Whole Foods and, and your brick and mortar and sort of this flight back to brick and mortar, although in a different shape and form, is that what companies are doing are driving sales back to their brick and mortar through their mm -hmm. e-commerce. With, with more options. With more options, more convenience. Um, so they now call let's it take omni-channel uh, okay, for let's the talk customer. About, I want to talk about omni-channel because I, I learned that and I thought it was fascinating. So let's let's go through the motions. So Target opens a 30,000 square foot store, let's just say somewhere in either Summerlin or Deep Henderson. It's not huge, it's smaller. Me as a customer, I can either do what is traditional. I drive my car there, get out of my car, go in the store, buy what I need, leave with my goods. Mm -hmm. I can also order it online before I leave the house, drive to the store, go in the store, pick up my goods and maybe a couple other things. So are you saying that the store is sort of acting as a local distribution center for the end user that's where it's going and that's why amazon is comfortable buying a whole foods because it gives them distribution centers to fulfill that buzzword we hear the last mile there's one company that it appears to me has really done a good job with this and that's nordstrom companies the way they have their nordstrom rack stores they'll oftentimes in in a metropolitan area have one or two uh, of their flagship stores and then you buy stuff online, say it comes to your house, you can quickly run over to the store, return it uh, to your Nordstrom rack that's five, 10 minutes from your house. And you know what, while I'm here, I have this big, you know, I just got a bunch of money back and I might as well buy something while I'm here. So you're not really returning it. It's not costing them, I, I believe, the same that it would if you put it back in the package and send it back. This seems to be the track that the successful companies are going to be on as time goes by. And solving the return problem for me in my household personally, that's a huge one. That'll make me a loyal customer. I hate the boxes and the breaking them down and then the, all that. Let's talk about, so the retailers have to evolve to stay alive. What about the landlords? And here's a brilliant oh. takeaway. Mm -hmm. So Adam Malin is, is listing and marketing the 
former Vons in Boca Park, anyone who lives in Vegas and in that part of town knows where it is and what we're talking about. A plus, plus, plus real estate. He's having some trouble. He has a ton of demand, but having some trouble for particular users because the development, the design of the development and, and the language in the leases that are 15 and 20 years old, oh, and the CCNRs, 15 and 20 years old, that not only have failed to evolve, I don't know how you evolve that in a center to bring the way that retailers are evolving, the way that other occupiers are evolving, the way that consumers and their behavior is evolving. How do you bring up to, to current CCNRs and leases? And then the dynamic, the tension between the Ross, who is paying 50% rent in that center because there's, no, there's nobody in the Vons, that's part of their lease. Why would they give up their right to that, to the owner, to fill it in with like a, you know, one of Dan's uh, high tech companies that wants to move here from California and take 150,000 square feet and put bodies in there? Yeah. So what we're talking about here is co-tenancy restrictions, use restrictions that 15, 20 years ago, if a store went vacant, a like use needed to go back into that store. Nothing experiential could come into the retail center because these companies 15, 20, 25 years ago did not want that. And frankly, it really didn't, did not exist. Uh, moving forward, this is, this is a major issue. Adam alluded to some federal lawsuits between major landlords and major tenants throughout the United States. And the results of this are going to be very important to the retail world. And if a company, a landlord is selling a retail center these days, an entire retail center, this is, this co these co-tenancy issues are very, very important and is really putting pressure on the values of retail properties because, frankly, landlords cannot fill without a lot of trouble these spaces where there actually is demand. So it is a bit of a conundrum. I think that at the end of the day, cooler heads and, and economic forces will prevail. And you always have to go through some pain and before the, you get there. If the there. cooler heads don't prevail, the economic forces will make them That's prevail. That's right. At the end of the day, market forces <laughs> prevail. And what's going to happen is retails change, okay? These are oftentimes big box spaces. Big box spaces, there's only certain uses for them now, okay? We're not putting in some of the traditional, you know, sports authorities not there to save the day anymore. So And they've shrunk. They're I mean, they, gone. They're, they're, they're not... The ones that are still like the target. Yeah. Target's not 100 plus. The, it's the business 30. model has yeah. changed. So what is going into these places? Oftentimes it's experiential, or maybe they can break down these spaces into multiple spaces. There, there's a number of solutions here. And the issue is going to be moving forward, what happens with the co-tenancy issues? And, and that we don't have an answer for that here on today's takeaways, but I think we're moving towards it. And I'm optimistic that this is going to be good for retail moving forward. Again, it's the evolution of, not the death of. So you just got way deep in the weeds, which I love about co-tenancy and all that. Let's stay in the weeds, but let's shift over to industrial, not to shortchange Dan Doherty and Jim Stewart. One thing about Dan I'd like to say, nobody has more charisma than Dan Doherty. You put him up in front of a room, and, and he's amazing. I, I agree with that wholeheartedly. One of the things that they talked about, uh, Jim Stewart teed it up. He said that users have exceeded price points that investors, uh, the, the users have exceeded price points uh, from investors' return thresholds. 
That's why they sold their first project instead of leased it. Um, but the reason, one of the drivers for that, again, going into the weeds, and I don't know if you can elaborate on this, if you're seeing this in your portfolio, there are new FASB accounting laws that change the way that companies treat leases versus owned real estate, which makes it more attractive to buy properties as opposed to signing long-term leases and holding it on your balance sheet as a liability for you know, 10, 15 years. I would point you to your CPA to answer that question <laughs> in a better way than I possibly can. But what I can say is I think we're in that time in the cycle with land costs and, and returns that, and with interest rates that less and less is making sense. And oftentimes, I think we're going to move towards development for owner-user sales because they're willing to pay more for the property. It's getting more and more difficult for leased product to make sense. Jim was saying that you're getting to a dangerous time in the cycle if you kind of make up where your lease rates are going to be. You have to be realistic, otherwise you get in trouble. And he said that was what happened 10 years ago. And we don't want to go there. So what is making more sense now? An exit strategy uh, uh, to users and, and sales. Okay, so I want to just kind of go over other things that were said that to me were, were some takeaways and some interesting observations. Uh, one of them, you know, we talk a lot about disruption these days. I feel like it's another one of these buzzwords that's cool to say. We said omni-channel and disruption. That's good. Yeah, omni-channel, but we had a definition for it. Mm -hmm. Let's let's talk about disruption and what that really means because they did talk about specifically to office and it being disrupted. I don't believe that's true, and I want to caution the use of the word disruption. There is a disruption coming in commercial real estate, and we've heard another buzzword, blockchain. I believe that the blockchain technology will completely change the way that commercial real estate is transacted. That's coming. That's not today. When we talk about office product and, and the evolution from um, what we have now, which is office where people go and, and do their work and leave to, uh, I don't know if you, if you captured this, but they talked about highly amenitized, what, what else? Back to the downtown Summerlin, having yeah. being two minutes. Dan actually said after the program to me, I would rather drive an extra 25 minutes to downtown Summerlin to go to work so I can be there all day. And, you know, with Dan, it, not totally true because he needs to go out and see clients, but most of the decision makers are going to be up near there. So before they go into their office, they can come meet for breakfast in this highly amenitized environment with technology and this other stuff. So mm -hmm. is that a disruption or an evolution? I'm going to submit that this is again an evolution. This is an evolution. Okay. And then, um, they talked about the Vegas nights effect. We've heard this before. Mm -hmm. We've heard this question before a couple. So Adam and Dan had some specific examples where they felt like there was an effect. Jim and Dan already backed off. Mm -hmm. Why do you think that is? Well, let's it clarify is, what, what's, what's ex what we keep going back to here is the difference uh, in the outlook of the guys who've been in the industry for 30 years versus the 15-year guys. And that's a interesting sociological discussion upon itself. But what I would point to here from my, my opinion and my experience level is what I see is you can't say we did this lease, we did that development because of the Vegas Golden Knights or the Raiders. But what I think it does is it validates the outside perception of Las Vegas. And Dan Doherty did allude to this. And he said, look, 
I've got guys from Chicago that want to come in and look at Vegas, and they're asking for a specific date to come in because they want to go see the Golden Knights game. Dan then has to go figure out how to get tickets to the Golden Knights when they play the Chicago Blackhawks, and now these guys are coming to town. That probably didn't happen before. So I would, I would probably say that validates the outside perception is the most important piece to this puzzle. Plus, for the locals, it gives us a sense of home, a sense of place, a sense of community. So Doherty and Jim are waiting for a measurable effect, so to speak, not just an increase in activity or a perceived increase in activity before they go on record to say, here's the effect. I would say Jim certainly is. Dan's a little bit closer to Dan Palmieri and Adam Malin. Okay. Another thing they talked about reinforcing, uh, we know this, but Dan put a distinction on it, $14 billion in new development. The distinction he put on it is it doesn't include this land that Wynn just bought that could maybe have a $300 million development. He wanted to make the point that the $14 billion is it's there, it's happening, it's moving, or it's eminent. It's a, it's a viable project. What are your thoughts around that? Well, when you throw out big numbers like $14 billion, the Jen Turchin was sitting next to me said, hey, is this included? Is that included? Is Resorts World inc- included? Because that's $4.2 billion right there. So, you know, I, it is kind of fun when, when a big number is thrown out because what does it really mean? It's too big for me to understand. You get to dissect it. Yeah. But, you know, on a more micro level, what does it mean? It means that things are happening that are actually happening. You know, these aren't pie-in-the-sky um, fun drawings where some – developer we've never heard of from some other cities coming in with fancy pictures. This is this is the convention center. This is happening. This is the Raider Stadium. We drive by this every single day. You know, many of us are really excited to go and attend Raiders, Raiders games. So th- these are things that are happening, and there's going to be these effects that we keep talking about that we can't quite quantify, but we know what's happening. And then you know all the construction that you see around town. So I think that what to focus on is that there's activity, and activity begets activity here. How about the California effect? Oh, yeah. Okay, let's do that. Let's talk. So Dan Palmieri mentions that companies, one of his drivers not, is not only job growth, it's, it's companies moving from California. Reed, I've been in this industry for about 14 years. I have heard this same narrative for 14 years. So why is that different now than the last 10-plus years? You know, again, I would point to my CPA, but I think the new tax laws may have something to do with this, that that's important. But Well, I, I've got one for you because I, I have a little ace up my hole, up my sleeve. Um, Matter, Jim Stewart's company, presented at the SIOR lunch just a few weeks ago. Jim's partner, Matt Root, who's their finance guy, their capital markets guy. I asked Very impressive guy. Let me tell you how impressive. I asked him the same question. And he said the difference this time is that you can go look at IRS records on companies that were filing taxes in California and now are filing taxes in Nevada. And year over year, we're seeing an increase in that. I don't know who out there wants to do this study. Maybe the LVGEA or John Restrepo wants to take that up. But if we can have uh, that validated, I think it, it helps all of us Las Vegas cheerleaders out there go create more, more commerce for our city. Yeah, that would be a really good selling point if you could actually quantify. And then if you can quantify, every company's different, but kind of the savings that, that companies are realizing by moving here from California. And, you know, I think most companies that move here, we see this in, in, in what we do. And the fact is, we only California is such a huge economy. 
It's the gift that keeps on giving. We, we only need a small percentage of California companies to move to this much smaller state to have a significant impact on our economy. And our traffic. And our traffic. And you know what? I don't complain about our traffic because you lived it's, it. it's good, but it's good news. You know, traffic's good news. Remember Fair 10 enough. years ago when the roads weren't busy? That wasn't good. And Fair we got enough. home quick. What else? What else, Reed? I've got one other takeaway from uh, Dan Palmieri in his opening. He talked about uh, the overview of the office market. His opening was that it's the strongest he has ever seen in his 11-year career. 125 buildings have sold year to date. Uh, I don't know what that contrasts to, to to previous, but he did talk about vacancies are dropping. Overall, the market is 15%, but to be careful with that number because when you dissect it and you look at the west part of the valley and the southwest part of the valley, your vacancy is as low as 5 and 8%, which that should signal to the market that it's time to develop some more stuff out there. You know, I, I think... One of my takeaways is that office is where there is a lot of opportunity. Um, we've had a time where, you know, industrials had a great run. Retail has, has really improved and, and is having a nice run. People still don't talk about office, and I think it's going to take just one or two creative people, and Jim Stewart might be the guy, to really get us back to where we need to be because we need that one office driver, which we don't have and historically have not had. Is it is it a company, though, or is it someone announcing, here's a project that's going to, over X years, deliver 3 million square feet of the Class A, highly amenitized technological space that's absent from the market? It's a combination. And according to Dan Palmieri, it's going to be a project that's going to bring that company but I, that's not in a vacuum. You can't have a project somewhere where a company doesn't want to be. So it needs to be a combination of our city doing the right things to attract these companies and then having the right developer bring the right project at the right time. And I think that there's an opportunity there. And that's for new uh, mixed-use development, this exciting evolution that we've been talking about. And then I think that there's another opportunity here in town longer term, and that's for some infill projects in areas that many look at right now as not the best and i think like, there's opportunity like where? what's an I example think look at the east side of town and, and say look there's opportunity there the, the location is irreplaceable so where what intersection because they talked about the east side of town as if it was non-existent and that's that's the way they talk about it which tells me that there's oh, opportunity. the contrarian comes out it is great takeaway maybe we can unpack that one at another time read this breakfast for me was action-packed, uh, tons of stats backed up with real-life examples. This is why I come to NAOP. Uh, you put this one together. You facilitated it. Kudos to you. Thanks for being here with me today. Hi, Em. Thanks for the opportunity to be on the show. It was really, uh, really a good experience for me. The attendance today, I think, spoke for itself. That's right. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Make sure to leave us a comment and a review, and tune in next time. Thank you for listening. I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. Takeaways podcast is about sharing and paying it forward. If you like this show, please make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast and leave us a review. It really goes a long way. And if you really like the show, please share takeaways with a friend. Thank you and tune in next time.